This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Just in time for the holidays, fill your home and your season for less at homedepot.com. With up to 40% off a wide assortment of select bedding and bath linens. Update your bed or bath online, right from the comfort of your own cozy couch. Even get free delivery and flexible returns. How's that for holiday cheer? Up to 40% off. Holiday home decor improved from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Online only. Free delivery on select items $45 or more. Visit homedepot.com for more information. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Hello and welcome to the Raptors Extra Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, today joined by a very special guest, a writer who I enjoy so much. He's on staff over at The Ringer website. <laughs> Dan Devine, how you doing today, man? I'm well, I'm well. The, the energy uh, skyrocketed with the introduction of the website. I appreciate that and uh, I appreciate you inviting me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for some time, and just, I know you're short on time, you're a busy guy, it's All-Star Weekend, I'm going to swing us directly into it, if that sounds okay, and you described Kyle Lowry as a malevolent fire hydrant, have you been sitting on that one a while, (laughs) because it's really good, it's very good. Oh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I was. It, it made me really happy that some people seemed to enjoy that. Um, because I guess you know that it could come. It could come off bad, right? It could. It could be constructed as a negative because malevolent is not a a positive word. And fire hydrant, like I don't want it to make it sound like Kyle Lowry just stands still and you know occasionally gets peed on. That's that's not Kyle Lowry. But the idea was, I was like, how do I communicate that Kyle Lowry is a very hard person to move and he makes it hard to get around him when he's setting a screen for Pascal Siakam. And how do I make it clear that he's doing this with sort of like a bad intention? Because what he wants to happen is he wants D'Angelo Russell to have to guard Pascal Siakam, which is a mean thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous and mean position to put D'Angelo Russell in. So I thought malevolent fire hydrant. It's, you know, he's short, he's stout, he's strong, uh, and he's doing this in a, a nasty way. It made sense to me. I hadn't been sitting on it for a while. It kind of Every once in a while, you're writing something either late at night or early in the morning, and uh, it comes across to you. And I'm glad that one panned out. I was, I, I, when, I, when, I, when I put it down, I was like, I hope this makes it through edits. And then when it made it through edits, I said, I hope people don't hate this. And then finding out that people liked it, uh, it, was, it was a little bit of a daymaker. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. It's a hit. And also, the, the <laughs> fire hydrant thing, if you've ever moved houses... Fire hydrants on the side of the road when you're walking backwards can be sometimes tough to get around, maybe. And 
He has a certain proclivity for setting back screens in the paint on unassuming players. Another level to the fire hydrant aspect, as it were. And I think my, my regular descriptor for him is non-ironic galaxy brain. What do you think of Kyle Lowry and his <laughs> cerebral, the cerebral aspect of his game? I'm a I'm a huge fan. Uh, of course, I, I'm I'm a blog boy, so of course I'm a huge fan of Kyle Lowry, um, a community that has come to really champion him and love him over the years. I think I I was really glad that I was when I was covering the finals uh, last June. Um, I got to write about Lowry, uh, you know, the game that he you know quote unquote let it rip right, and uh, where he sort of went off and kind of uh, got the Raptors closer to a championship. I got to write about him and focus on his his story in that game and to write about kind of what I appreciated about it. And it's it's all the, you know, the things that, you know, many brilliant people like Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe and, uh, you know, Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen and Bruce Arthur and all the, a million, uh, Michael Grange, all the wonderful people who write about the Raptors and who cover this team have written a million times. It's all the magic's all in the work and it's all in the margins and it's in seeing something that maybe a half dozen or two, you know, a dozen other people sort of see not just in real time, but before it happens. And if I make X, Y and Z moves, then it can bring that reality to pass. And um, being able to do that at, you know, six foot uh, and and being able to imp- imp- impact games in as many ways as he can uh, this deep into his career, given his size, given the limitations that he has athletically and all that. Um, it's just it's it's astounding. And it's been a, a cool thing the last couple of years, certainly especially after the championship, um, but also this year as well to see like you're, you don't get a whole lot of the well, this guy's going to fold when it matters most anymore. Right. You don't get a whole lot of the yeah, he's a, a nice regular season player, but it doesn't matter. I think there's a, a, a the the pressure of uh, that's on you when you haven't won yet dissipates. And then what it leaves in its wake is. A lot of it makes it a lot easier to appreciate all the different things that a player like that can do, um, and he's he's a ton of fun. So when when I was writing that, you know, about to write about that, uh, the the end of that Wolves game in the context of the winning streak, in the context of what the Raptors are doing this season, it was kind of perfect that like Lowry wasn't the story of that game. Consider you know, like all things considered, you, you think more about the centers not being there and Ronda Hellas Jefferson, and you think about uh, you know. Siakam taking over down the stretch, but what puts that in position to happen? It's Lowry setting screens, right? Like, of course, he's the guy sort of behind the scenes making that work. Of course, he's the guy that you don't focus on because he's at the start of the clip rather than the end of it. Um, so getting to shout him out a little bit was was a lot of fun. And non-ironic galaxy brain, I like that a lot. I think that's, that's a, a pretty cool way to focus on the area where he's maybe more elite than some other people might re- might be or might realize. Yeah, my favorite Kyle Lowry play, I think, of the playoff run was... I think it was against Philadelphia. At, towards the end of Game 7, Pascal Siakam had a layup in the dying minutes. And he fell down. And at that point, that juncture of the game, both teams were trying to get the ball inbounded very fast. And you see Kyle Lowry, unbeknownst to the ref, acts as if he were pushed, and he wasn't, dives on the ball because he knows that Pascal Siakam has to get up after spilling onto the floor and taking a bit of contact on the layup. So he dives on the ball and lets it roll farther into the stands so that his team can get back on defense. Who thinks of that? The presence of mind. Yeah, yeah sorry, always, the, 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 the always grab the ball, like, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Him and Chris Paul are kind of like the patron saints of that. Like, no, we have to go now. We have to go now because a quarter of a second uh, might make a difference between an open shot and, and uh, or you know a layup and a contested shot, or you know uh, an opportunity to, to to get a quick two for one or not. Like, there's always a game, sort of a superstructure going on for guys like that. And 
that Lowry now gets to be uh, rewarded for that or recognized for that is one of the kind of cooler outcro- outcroppings of both the championship season and then this remarkable, uh, you know, title defense that the Raptors are on and, and you know, they head into the break um, in such an amazing position. It's It's been cool to sort of see him get his his roses for that. And to shout out a, a colleague of mine, Louis Zatzman, I think at 15 or 16 games into the season, he wrote an article about the two for one and how Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry operate in it. To that point in the year, it had made up around 20% of the Raptors point differential had been made in the two for one, which is kind of crazy. But I, I did a Kevin Arnovitz interview last year. I didn't get to ask him about Kyle, so I thought I'd make up for it by asking you. But to move <laughs> us on to the next thing, you wrote a piece titled Siakam's Razor. I have a question about <laughs> Occam's Razor, though. Okay. Is it fair to say that that principle might be why the Raptors were underrated by many coming into the season? They're a complex team with many different contributors. Am I off with this? or trying to shove a square peg in a round hole in an attempt to plug your piece? What am I doing here? <laughs> well, I'll say two things about that, or three things, I'll say. One, that's uh, a shout-out to Danny Chow, my former Ringer colleague. Um, he was one of his last sort of editorial contributions on his way out the door was suggesting that as the the, the headline for that post. So, shouts out to Danny. Um, two is, if you're, trying to sh- if you're not trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, then we're, you're not talking on the internet, right? Like... It is the nature of doing business, so <laughs> I am not mad at you for trying. Uh, and three, I mean, well, the the, the principle being like uh, so the simplest explanation is often the right one, and as we search for the more complicated ones, um, you know, sometimes you have to go back to kind of you know basic uh, basic principles. I think that does make a lot of sense, and I, I, it's something that I wrote about a little bit in. Uh, the most recent thing I wrote about the Raptors earlier this week, when I ringer cursed them into the end of their uh, winning streak, was just there was there was a very compelling reason to not consider the Raptors a title contender, which was that Kawhi, uh, Kawhi Leonard left. But in ex- like sort of accepting that face value, very sort of simple analysis, I think it overlooked the fact that it was you bring back six guys who went through that entire postseason experience to win the championship including, you know, two of the three most important players on that team. And then, or I guess three of the four, if you consider Gasol and how he was sort of a bellwether, especially offensively when he was shooting, when he was not shooting um, in that in that situation. Um, or Van Vliet, obviously, I guess four of the five. We can just keep keep extending it out. Um, but, and also OG Ananobi, who had been there the entire season, has sort of been steeped in the culture and was really like poised for a bounce back season after a really difficult year last year. Um, there was all There was all this sort of, equity that had been built and so when you looked at it and said yes though they lost their best player it's like yeah but they also have these young guys that are getting better that have opportunities to step into larger roles and they bring back a ton of the infrastructure from last year so the simplest explanation for where the raptors should be is probably they should still be in the tier below the bucks in the east with a chance to you know make it interesting in the playoffs and maybe we undervalued what that experience was and what that opportunity might look like but I think what we're seeing now is the simplest explanation for what they're what all that talent and all that equity could build uh, is what's coming to fruition, at least at this point in the season. 
Yeah, I, I definitely have them below the Bucks as well. Prior to the season, I was one of the uh, I picked the 76ers to win it all. Right. I revere the Joel Embiid playoff minutes, so I had them just slightly under the 76ers, uh, a deal under the Bucks. But I was probably in the same boat as you prior to the season, thinking how could you possibly win a championship or be considered a title contender after losing Kawhi Leonard, the great Kawhi Leonard. And it's, I mean, it's an understandable thing. And you watch Kawhi Leonard, you know, having watched the way he carried them at so many junctures in the postseason, it's understandable. But you also, it's worth remembering. And again, I say this as a corrective to myself. One of the things that I want to make sure I'm doing is like being appropriately um, self-flagellating about this. Like that, uh, as I'm not saying like, well, the, the mainstream media didn't get this right. Like, you know, I was there, man. I, I was high on them, but not nearly as high as I should have been, evidently, given how they performed. Um, is that at different points in those, you know, in those series or in those finals, like when Kawhi was sort of dragging around on one leg, like Van Vliet's shot making in those last two rounds was gigantic for them. Um, the, the the games that Lowry had, the, the the performances that he had were gigantic for them. Siakam being able to sort of get loose and just taking it to Draymond Green in the finals was gigantic. Gasol, the impact he had on Embiid defensively, the impact that he had when he would space the floor and shoot was gigantic. All of that stuff was still there. And so maybe uh, it's given short shrift to the guys that were sort of like the rest of the supporting cast around the superstar, both in that moment and after the fact. And I think what you're seeing now is uh, a... Uh, sort of a loud statement of purpose and value and intent of those of that re- remaining sort of core saying we are you know we we were that important to what happened last year it wasn't just about one guy or two guys with Danny Green it's it was a, a much broader collective that was part of that and the bulk of that collective still remains so uh, and, and obviously we haven't mentioned Nick Nurse's name yet but a gigantic part of that as well um, and that's, I don't know, man, that's a lot of fun. That's a, I, I know I'm not a, um, I'm not a Torontonian. I'm not a Canadian. Um, I don't have any vested interest in the Raptors, but there's something really fun about just knowing that whenever I turn them on, I'm going to be watching five guys who can play. I'm going to be watching five guys play their ass off and I'm going to be watching a, a game that's going to be competitive and entertaining, um, almost regardless of who the opponent is and who's on the court. Like that's, that's rare and that's pretty rad. Uh, a quick aside, self-flagellating, is, why not self-deprecating? Is there a super big difference there? Or what makes you go with flagellation there? Well, flagellation, I mean, I'm, I'm also an Irish, an Irish Catholic boy, and flagellating right. is, is, is about beating yourself up. So that's kind of my stock and trade. Um, self-deprecating is one thing. That's, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, trying to, like, it would be one if I said, like, I wrote this piece and it was all right. It's like, no, or, you know, I wrote this piece and it was terrible. It's like, no, that's self-deprecating. Self-flagellating is like, no, I'm a piece of garbage. So that's really where you want to land on those things. You want to be appropriately aware of how trash you are and make sure that you say that so that the remainder of the internet hears it and they're like, well, it's not as much fun to call you trash if you're doing it yourself. It's classic, like, uh, middle school reverse psychology stuff that I'm bringing to the table here. So I'm really glad I could bring that to the audience. Well, yeah, you, uh, in my life, I've seen, there. I guess there's three pillars of that proponent in my life that I've taken in. It would be you, I suppose, Conan O'Brien and John Mulaney, all very big proponents <laughs> of the the self-flagellations. But you well, did bring it, up... I, I, Sorry. Before you move on, we cannot allow to go uns, uh, unsaid that I do not belong anywhere near that. <laughs> that if, we do, if you want to talk about self-deprecation, let's get it now. Um, it is very exceedingly kind of you to say the names Conan O'Brien and John Mulaney. Let's put me a way back of them, okay? Let's like a big, big distance between those two names and mine. But if it makes you think of them, then I'm happy to be part of it. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it be. I think, I think it's fine. I'll, I'll group you in. But we were talking about Nick Nurse, and we'll talk about something that he, his fingerprints are all, they're all over. The Raptors' defense is, I don't know what the description, an amorphous blob of teamwork, maybe. They can switch between zone and man in the same defensive possessions without losing a step. They do it quite often. Depending on how the, a pick-and-roll attacks a 3-2 zone, it can change into a box-and-one, or it can change into man-to-man in an instant. And it's, it's symbiotic. I'm not sure, well, I'm not trying to claim that they're the best defensive team ever, but have you ever seen a team play defense like this? That's a really great question, and it's a great point, because I think, you, I mean, you wouldn't even necessarily say it's not this, that they're the best defensive team ever. They're also not, not the best defensive team in the league right, right now, because right. That's, that, <laughs> that conversation, like, statistically, it, and also just eye test, it's Milwaukee because of the way they wall off the rim, and they're able to just, you know, funnel, every, keep everything away from the basket or snuff it out once it gets there with Giannis and the Lopez's and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the way the Raptors do it is fascinating. It's, it's, it is like last year in the playoffs, we were talking about Nick nurse being like, you know, like the, there was like the pejorative of he's throw throw it up. He threw a box in one at Steph Curry. He's like bringing back middle school defenses. He's junking up the game. It's like, well, yeah, because you know what? Sometimes if, if that's the, the, the best weapon somebody else has to beat you, Hell yeah, throw that box in one at that guy. If, make him do something else. Make, you know, in, in football with Bill Belichick and the Patriots, it's always, you know, it was always make him play left-handed. What's the thing, you know, what's the thing you like to do best? We're going to stop you from doing that, and then we'll find out if you can beat us doing your second favorite thing. And whether on a given night that is, you know, sending doubles at the post, uh, if you've got a if you've got mismatches there, if it's playing zone, you know, uh, two three or one two two, you know, uh, pre- pressing full court, which we've seen the Raptors do it time and again to speed up teams, create turnovers, and you know, uh, get back into games. Uh, did it the, uh, last week against Indiana. Um, you know, the the the, the matchup, the way that they were able to, you know, like uh, they survived, uh, not even survived, they thrived against um, against Minnesota with. Uh, an undersized five in Ron Hollis Jefferson on Carl Towns because they were zoning up a ton around it and they had basically Pascal Siakam sitting in his lap for most of the game. So there's, a, a, I think it's it's something that you can't do without a certain amount of continuity. Um, the fact that you had so many so many of the top players on the roster have been there for an extended period of time, went through the the run last year, so they know what Nurse is asking for and they know how to do it together because they've done it. And then it also trades on intelligence and the ability of a, of a, of uh, individual players to you know be smart and you know positional and tactical individual defenders. Lowry obviously is the prime example, but Gasol fits into that mold. Um, Van Vliet fits into that mold. Siakam as as, as a disruptive defender. Ojanunobi, uh, it's it's you know his on ball work is, is you know we've seen that be really impressive the way he can just rip the ball away from people, but he's developing as a as a team defender as well. Um, if you don't have really smart defenders, you can't switch like that. You can't change the dynamics and the ideas. Uh, between games and certainly not within games and within possessions as easily as they do. So it's a special sort of conflation of a coach who's willing to try whatever because he doesn't, he's not worried about getting embarrassed if it doesn't work. Um, you've got a, which, which nurse always was that, but now that he's got a title in his pocket, forget it. Like you're not, you're not going to convince him. It's not a good idea. Um, and you've got players who are smart enough to execute it and who have fam- enough familiarity with one another to trust that the other guys are going to execute it too. And when you get all that together, it makes, it makes you a really match-up, uh, a, a, a savvy team when it comes to being able to match up on any given night or any given possession. 
And well, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. They are the number two defense in the league this year. Um, there's a big gap in terms of points allowed per possession between them and Toronto, but uh, between them and Milwaukee, rather. But it's it's there. It's, you know, they play different ways against different teams and different styles. And whatever they do, it can, seems to continue to work on a night to night basis. You brought up Pascal Siakam, and I want to talk about him. As far as his defense, it's fantastic. And I like that you brought up how he's always flying around. He's, I think, per game, one of the top five in distance traveled and also in shots contested, a lot of them being three-pointers. The way that the Raptors use him is atypical to use a you know, a forward in, in a defense, and it's really unique. But more specifically with him, you wrote that piece about him to start the year and how his step forward, his transcendence, would help define this new era for the Raptors. What have you liked about his step so far? What's impressed you the most? I think it's a couple things. First off, what was the book on him offensively through the end of last postseason, right? It was you let him get the ball above the break and you sag off him and you force him to either take a shot he's not comfortable with or drive right at a giant. And we saw that short circuit him uh, against the Sixers. We saw him have trouble with that against the Bucks, And then he went out this summer and he got incredibly comfortable taking that shot. And where he's now not even thinking about it again, not, not to, it's, I know it's recent uh, because it's one of the last game of theirs that I watched in full, but against the, the, the wolves, you get down to the end of the end of the game there. And he's like, he gets the shot from the, from uh, above the break and he's not even thinking about it. He's pulling it in the fourth quarter and he's knocking it down. Um, identifying the part of his game where that he knew the opponents were going to attack and then turning that weakness into either, if not necessarily a strength, I don't know if you'd, you know, he's not JJ Redick out there, but um, something that he doesn't have to be worried about anymore. I think you have to, you admire a player uh, being willing to say, I know what I'm great at, I know what I'm not great at, and let's turn the latter category into the former um, and putting in the work to get there. Uh, so I think that's part of it. I think attitude also, like, he he saw there they were it was presented pretty clearly by you know by nurse I remember I think it was Will Liu at Yahoo Canada wrote uh, talked to nurse during the summer about um, the idea of how you would use Siakam now as a number one option and they, so I was like well there's the the blueprint of Kawhi obviously and the blueprint of Giannis and the idea you put the ball in his hands more and we're gonna let him run pick and rolls instead of being the screener we're gonna we're gonna let him uh, attack you know grab the ball off the rim and go even more we're gonna rely on him to do that because and we're going to spread the floor more with Gasol and with other uh, sort of more shooters around him on the wings. And we're going to say, you do it. And to that's taking the jump from really from good to really good is hard. Taking the jump from really good to great is maybe the hardest thing there is to do in the sport. And so I think when you think about, you know, there's that discussion of it. Could he be what, like the rare player who wins most improved again? Right. Or can, uh, can contends for most improved again. Um, probably not going to happen because that's not the way that award works. But the idea that you go from, you know, a nice player who's maybe, you know, 12th or 15th best forward in the league last year to a guy who before his injury was a like top seven or eight player in the league this year and who's going to factor in the all NBA conversation this year. And like when he's at his peak, looks like he's an MVP candidate there, you know, him, Luka Doncic, uh, Giannis a few years back made the same sort of run. Um, when you get guys that make that leap, the second one, um, that's always it's incredibly impressive to me because I, I think that like any, a lot of a lot of guys can be good with more opportunities or can put up more numbers with more shots, but elevating your game on both ends of the floor and to that degree, I think, is one of the most difficult things that any athlete can do. And to see him do it 
uh, really attack the opportunity to do it has been just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about that that second or third leap that has to be made to reach the top of the top. If you're making those leaps, you're you're genuinely putting yourself into Hall of Fame status. That's how good the company you're joining is. So if he is able to do that, that's you're watching a player grow into something that is incredible in time, which is really cool. But I'll, I'll move us on to the last thing I brought you here to talk about. And you talked about ringer cursing the Raptors, which I think <laughs> is funny, but... The Raps, they snapped off a 15-game winning streak, which is quite large, second most in the league this year behind Milwaukee's 18. By most accounts, have one of the best teams in the league and get to celebrate Siakam as a first-time All-Star. And yet, a lot of the talk is directed towards Giannis's free agency, mm-hmm. Masai's connection to him, and Nick Nurse's opportunity to tamper. The Bucks are an <laughs> incredible team, the best in the league by some measure. And, and this hangs over their head, too. So... From your piece on the death of dynasties, quote, the draft becomes free agency, becomes free agency, and it never ends. The 82-game regular season and the 16-win postseason now seem, at times, like simply a way to kill time between trade deadlines and barely-veiled late-June tampering sessions between this roster reshuffle and the next, end quote. This is obviously the fan side of things, but how do you think that's affected the longevity or possibility of dynasties? How have players and management... It's a huge question. I mean, that was, I will be honest with you. So that the, the inciting incident for that, uh, big post essay column, whatever, whatever, uh, word you'd use for it was that was the day when it became clear that Kawhi Leonard was only signing a two year deal in LA and, uh, that Paul George's deal, Paul George could get out of, or, or that he could get out of his deal after two years. And that Paul George could also, there was a line of their timeline where the Clippers had just moved heaven and earth and, a half dozen years of draft picks to line up their super team. And immediately the clock was running because if you, if you don't have a champion in two years, um, those guys are probably gone. Um, and, and honestly, even if you do, because we just watched Kawhi Leonard go from a championship team to a different team for other reasons. Um, so it's the idea that, it it's not even like the the framing of it was about dynasties and about the the possibility that you're never going to see um, a team that's as consistently elite as the Warriors were for a half decade or as the, the you know LeBron Cavs were et cetera because the timeline of contracts and the window to compete is getting so much shorter and because franchises in 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 chasing the the win now once you get that star you have to throw everything in to win now. Um, and you give up, you know, your future to do it because that's the deal. I mean, it gets you closer to the gold ball and that's what matters most. So the idea that you're not going to see the consistent longevity of, of a contender for for as long as we have in years past. Um, what I think it's done is it has made building a team and planning for the future, I don't know, almost impossible. It's like building a sandcastle on a beach when it's raining or when or, or building it right where the tide comes in, because like every time you get something put together, it's, it's just going to get washed away again. And I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, listen, if I if I knew how to build a sustainable winner in that environment, I wouldn't I'd probably be working with a team rather than than writing about this stuff and, and just saying, I don't know. I wonder. Um, but I think it's fundamentally changed the way that front offices have to operate. Um, the fact that uh, Masai Ujiri has threaded the needle here by like, he went after Kawhi, but he did it without giving up Pascal Siakam or Oji Ananobi. 
He has uh, managed to retain and like re-up Kyle Lowry on a one-year extension and max out um, uh, Siakam and provide, you know, have theoretically the flexibility here, depending on how the summer breaks out, to like to give a significant pay jump to Fred Van Vliet, maybe do an extension similar, like one-year extensions to what Lowry did for Serge Ibaka, uh, Marcus Saul, and still retain the, the the flexibility to go after a big fish free agent like Giannis in two years' time. Threading that needle for several years in a row while remaining consistently competitive and being among the the, the class of teams that can win the championship if a couple things break right, it's it's a, a very delicate balance and it's a fine line to walk. So that he's done it this well is commendable and very rare. Um, wh- how long he can continue to do that here remains to be seen. You know, free agency is a zero-sum game. One team's going to get Giannis and 29 aren't. So if Giannis this summer decides... I'm going to sign the Supermax with the, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Then the, how much does that change his calculation in terms of what you go in, all in on, what you spend on, um, how the, for, the the further construction of the team winds up looking? I don't know, but I'm guessing there's a plan B, C, D, E, and F in, uh, you know, um, you know, in uh, no, not in Jurassic Park because that would be out in the in the, the lobby there or the, uh, in the, the courtyard. But I'm guessing in the building there's a lot of different contingency plans in place. Um, but I think the idea of how you build now – with everything is moving faster, and I don't know that there's any way to slow it down, even if you win. And that's a really interesting and different challenge than I think anybody in the league has ever faced in previous eras when guys were on longer deals. Um, the the competition for player movement was light, was you know lesser. Fewer teams had money to spend, significant money to spend year to year, and there were you know fewer. Uh, or there were maybe more opportunities to to, to build a, a, a long-term contender. Now it's like if you're not doing it right now, then you're not doing it. Um, and so the Clippers, I think they're going to be a fascinating test case because if it doesn't happen this year, then, man, what does next year look like? Um, if Giannis resigns in Milwaukee, then that provides them the infrastructure to be able to sort of plan four or five years out. And so then maybe they become the new test case for an organization like that to say, how do you remain competitive for a longer period of time? Um, and if he doesn't, and if Masai's in his ear and Nick Nurse is in his ear and hey, man, uh, and say, you know, in the shoot the moon scenario, the Bucks wind up losing to the Raptors in the postseason again this year. And, and Giannis says, hey, you know what? Maybe it'd be fun to play with those guys instead of having to play against them again. Um, then, you know, all bets are off in terms of what the Raptors look like moving forward. But um, building a team now seems like it's a, sort of an impossible game of Jenga because the bottom is continually getting moved away from you. Um, uh, which is why I'm glad that Masai Ujiri has that job and not me. And it's also why Masai Ujiri can probably write whatever kind of contract he would like to when his contract is up and uh, and be paid handsomely to do it. Because if you do it well, uh, you're, you're going to be handsomely compensated for it. Yeah, and it seems like the Knicks, they have this, I don't know, Bob from Bob's Burgers level of, I guess, uh, <laughs> stamina. But hey, Masai, I, uh, I hear you're pretty good at coaching over there. I wonder if you maybe want to do it over in, in New York. How do you feel about that? And But they don't really have the stamina to, to keep going with it. But I, I think that's a wonderful way to put it. There's, there's Sam, a bo- I'm, so, I'm sorry. We have to time out here. You're not just going to drop like a pitch perfect H. John Benjamin on me and then move on. Like I can't, I can't applaud you for that. That was dynamite. Thank you so much for that. Well, I'm, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to be able to rip it out uh, during this podcast. And, and thank you for noticing. <laughs> but this will move us nicely onto the last question I have for you, which is a funnier one, and it relates to a piece you wrote regarding the NBA 
league pass, I think you should leave basketball account. Are there any <laughs> Twitter accounts that can hang with, I think you should league pass? I, I, I'm biased here because I did, uh, unless listen, there are a few things in my career that I feel like I'm going to be able to be proud of in, in a, a number of years. Having been the person who wrote the story about that is going to be something, of, it's going to feel like a feather in my cap. I don't know if anybody else is going to care about it. 10 people might know what it is, but I will always feel proud of that. Um, Ryan Perry is the, the person who puts, who, uh, makes that account. Uh, marrying uh, NBA memes with uh, I think you should leave the wonderful, hilarious, insane um, Tim Robinson show on Netflix sketch comedy piece. Uh, it makes me laugh every time I see it. And I'm not just saying that because I wound up getting to know Ryan a little bit and in, in talking about the story for the story. And um, and because I was happy with the way the story came out the, uh, right before the trade deadline, the, uh, he put up one that was like teams when they call the Knicks. And it was a screenshot from the baby of the year sketch with Sam Richardson saying, can they be tricked? And it made me, it, I just died. I fell out sitting there at my desk looking at it. Every single thing that I look at from that, it reminds me of how much I love that show. And it, it just makes me feel like it's, it's like an endlessly refillable resource. I can't wait until season two of the show comes back, not only because I, I would love to just see more sketches, but um, what that will give Ryan in terms of material for more uh, is, is extremely exciting to me so no honestly i don't think anybody any any account out there it matches that for for hilarity although i will say as a you know you you are a uh, a canadian and you know i'm a longtime supporter of and friend of uh the people who were the basketball jones then the starters now no dunks inc with the athletic uh je skeets and trey kirby uh two of the guys there um skeets used to be my boss at yahoo and trey was also a, a boss of mine at yahoo trey kirby is i think the funniest basketball person there is so Everything Trey does makes me laugh, but not as much, quite as much as everything that uh, I think you should league pass makes me laugh. So, uh, but that's really wonderful company to be in, I think, on both sides. I had J.E. and Taz on the podcast um, separate times. And I think I'll have J.E. on once again this year. They're both fantastic. But I haven't had Trey, so I might have to ask. But I think my favorite from I think you should league pass. And listener, I am going to swear right here, but was the... During Tony Parker's little ceremony, the Rick Barry from the Magician sketch, the "You Ruined My Fucking Life," that was <laughs> that was my favorite one I think I ever saw. It's really great. Also, the the steering wheel. Anytime you can finagle that into a story or a meme, I think is really great too. Yeah, what one hundred percent? I got. To, I was. I was able to. I was lucky enough to write about, write about that 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 account toward the end of last year, and then when we did our like ringer big ringer staff piece about memes of the year i got to write about um the you know focus group guy ruben Rabasa, um and it, it would it like if it, it is a value add in your work day to be able to do that and then have to like for research purposes rewatch and reread all those things it, it's uh there are worse ways to turn it to turn a buck and make a living well, Dan, I uh, I think I'm gonna let you go and get on with the rest of your day, which I'm sure is busy. Dan, Dan, I, Dan I think you should leave. Is is the way the way you? <laughs> <laughs> I missed the boat on that one, but <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. It is it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the floor is yours to plug whatever you like, what you think the people should be listening to or reading. Uh, go ahead, man. Oh well, uh, well. Not that I'm the thing you should be listening to or reading, but um, I'm on the ringer.com. I'm an M a staff writer on the NBA there. Uh, you could find my stuff usually three or four things a week thereabouts um, uh, on the ringer.com. Uh, I'm a regular, I'm a panelist. I think my, my official title is like permanent guest on uh, Heat Check, uh, the Monday edition of our Ringer NBA show podcasts. Um, 
hosted by John Gonzalez, featuring the lovely and talented Haley O'Shaughnessy. Um, I get to talk with my friends on Mondays about the NBA, which is pretty fun. We do that every week. And then uh, you can find everything that I do and a bunch of little dumb jokes on Twitter at Your Man Divine. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the, the sum total of my internet contributions, uh, which is probably more than anybody needs. But um, I will say this also be, uh, as I let you go. Um, Raptors fans are among my favorite people to interact with on, on the internet, both when you are supportive of the thing I have just said because I love your team and when you think I am a complete idiot, like when I suggested maybe trading uh, Norman Powell and a pick for Andre Iguodala before the trade deadline. And I was like my whole morning was just annihilated by Raptors fans telling me I was such a dummy. And the uh, the overwhelming passion that Toronto has for its for its team before the title and then since um, is is exemplary. And uh, when when uh, Gons and I were in Toronto for the finals last year, um, the number of people who were like uniquely sweet and genuinely uh, into talking to us about what we do and about that team and about their their affection for it was um, it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. So uh, I will try to to refrain from tweeting bad trade ideas, but uh, I look forward to continuing to cover a team that I've come to really enjoy watching and uh, talking with you all about it. I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, no, he's not going to come on the podcast anymore (laughs) (laughs) because of the reaction. And I refrained from asking about it. I was like, that could be really funny to do off the top. But I thought it would be reductive as far as the conversation we wanted to have. But thank you so much for coming on, man. It has been a treat. Oh, my pleasure, Samson. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And if uh, I do have a John Mulaney impression in the bag, but if you want to hear that, you'll have to come on sometime down the road. Listener, I'd like to thank you for engaging with this stuff. Dan, one more thank you to you. And whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. The Home Depot has holiday savings of up to 40% on select appliances, like a Whirlpool four-door French door refrigerator for just $15.98. It's perfect for a busy kitchen full of helping hands. That's where its fingerprint-resistant stainless steel finish really shines. Order online and get free delivery. Holiday appliance shopping improved. Up to 40% off select appliances. Now at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Continental U.S. only. While supplies last. Valid through December 2nd. Free delivery on orders $396 or more. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more.